welcome to another episode of Building Prosperity with Commercial Real Estate. I'm your host, Gary Tsungu, and today we have John Pugh. Thank you for being on the show, John. Thanks for having me, Gary. John has over 20 years of experience in the investment and real estate space. He has developed over 2 million square feet of mixed-use commercial and industrial space. He is an expert on family office real estate development and investments. John's firm, Pew Management, serves as a family office real estate operating partner on real estate development and asset management assignments. Pew selectively partners with family offices. The firm is comprised of seven highly experienced professionals that serve five family offices on separate private assignments across several U.S. locations. John, welcome again, and I'm looking forward to hearing more about your business model and how you came to becoming a trusted development partner for family offices in particular. Um, but before we do, uh, I just want you to take me back a bit because you do you have an extremely, extremely interesting background. And uh, a bit later on the show, I want to identify the bridge between your background and your current role. But I imagine, you know, when you first sort of started off or going to school, you didn't, you didn't really think of you weren't thinking about real estate development. So take us back and tell us a little bit more about your background and uh, how you got into the space. Sure thing, Gary. I'd be happy to chat about that a little bit. I, uh, I grew up in the Washington, D.C. suburbs, uh, played a lot of basketball. Was, uh, I'm actually six foot ten, so it came kind of natural. <laughs> and uh, and I was one of the top 50 players in the country coming out of high school. So I had an ops, a fair amount of options in terms of where I was going to go play uh, and ended up at Fordham University in New York City, which is an LA 10 uh, school, which is one of the higher divisions of Division One. Uh, had a great experience there. Learned a heck of a lot uh, about uh, about a lot of things in terms of teamwork and and, uh, and working towards a top common goal, uh, which certainly comes in handy in real estate. And then uh, went on to play over in Australia professionally, which was also a great way to see the world. So uh, did that, and then I got into uh, worked on Wall Street. Majored in finance in school and worked on Wall Street for about five years with. Uh, program traders, algorithmic traders uh, in the bond and bond futures uh, space uh, primarily. And did that for a few years, recognized that I was really meant to be in the real estate space really for my love of buildings. I wanted to go back, went back to uh, get a master of architecture degree at MIT, which uh, about three and a half years of study and then got into architecture and fairly quickly figured out that I belonged in the real estate space, given my, my business background and my interests. So that was kind of the starting point for me and then uh, transitioned, you know, really into the development space. I can really tell that you, you must like real estate if you come from such a diverse background and you had a lot of options by the sounds of it, right? You had, you, you know, you had basketball, you know, you could have gone to architecture, you could have stayed on wall street, but Given, given your diverse background, I think this is a fair question to ask. Did you ever think at any point, no, I don't want to pursue architecture. Uh, I sort of want to try playing basketball or get, or, you know, remaining in, you know, in, in the basketball industry or remaining at Wall Street. At any point, did you think, no, this is not what I want to do. And you, you kind of wanted to walk step away from real estate. No, no, real estate, real estate's been, uh, something that I've, I've always had my eye on until I finally got into the space. You know, it, it's been an interest since a fairly young age. Mm-hmm. Uh, my sister's also in the real estate space. So I have, you know, some of that kind of family connection and uh, yeah, I, it's one of those things you, you, once you find what you're meant to be doing, you know, which is what real estate development, real estate investment is for me, you know, you really kind of recognize where you're meant to be. Right. I, I, and I feel, you know, 
fortunate to be have given the chance to you know play basketball which was clearly something I was meant to do uh for a long part of my life uh and so I've built up kind of this I guess you'd call it intuition about you know when you're in a place where you're meant to be where you're doing what you're meant to do um and that really has been what you know real estate investment and development has been for me uh ever since I got into the space I feel fortunate to have kind of figured that out and it's been a heck of a lot of fun ever since yeah, no, uh, I bet for my for myself, it was sort of it was sort of a necessity to kind of get into real estate because because of my family, you know, my dad, when I was a carpenter and ever since I was a young kid, he's like, hey, you're coming to work with me. You know, there's no there's no it's like, oh, I want to stay home and play video games or anything like that. So it was it's sort of it, and I could have chosen anything else just like yourself, but I did I did decide to stick with it. And uh, I'm glad yeah. I'm glad I did for sure. It's interesting. My father also is an engineer. He designs and builds ships for the Navy, the U.S. Navy. And, uh, you know, when I was on Wall Street, kind of trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life, it was, uh, you know, just kind of having him as a role model, too, similar to you, uh, you know, helped me to kind of say, you know, what, this could be something that I, I would, I would uh, enjoy uh, being involved in. So that's, uh, you know, a little bit more perspective. Yeah, yeah, no, that's awesome. Those there must be some really cool stories that your dad shared with you. We can talk about that. Uh, we can talk that talk about that another time. But sure. uh, so, tell me, tell me a little bit now. So you you're in real estate. You're serious about it. What what made you what made you kind of get serious about it? And what I want to know, what I really want to know, is a, a little bit about your first project, sort of the the one that helped start it all. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that the first real. Um, real estate development project I was involved in uh, was referred to as the Landmark Center Development Project here in Boston, Massachusetts. It's in the Fenway area. It's a former uh, Sears Roebuck building, uh, catalog building for deliveries, fulfillment, that sort of thing. Uh, it was built in, I think, 1929, 1930. Uh, I was working at Samuels and Associates, which is a large uh, mixed-use development shop here in the, the Boston area. Um, and uh, you know, the asset is a million square feet uh, of existing space with uh, a couple hundred thousand square feet of retail, you know, 650,000 square feet of office, a large parking garage. So my my job, I was brought in to, to work and manage with one other partner, uh, kind of the day-to-day -day of the design, permitting, construction logistics, uh, you know, figuring out the, the how the financing might work. So uh, so that was, you know, taking that that existing asset in an urban complex uh, location, and then and effectively taking it, looking at, okay, these are some different options that might work financially uh, and from a from a zoning and kind of political standpoint, and then taking that and advancing that design, advancing that permitting process, which which as you can imagine, Boston is probably quite uh, challenging, and what we were actually doing was tearing down the existing garage putting up a new retail podium, which was a couple hundred thousand square feet, and then adding 425 uh, apartments above that, and then redeveloping the existing ground floor retail, which also included a movie theater. So there was a heck of a lot involved with that. And it was, you know, very, I feel very fortunate to have been involved. Samuels is just a great group of people, uh, true professionals, and, and learned a heck of a lot being on that project um, and being involved there. Um, so that was my first kind of foray into it. And so I didn't, I didn't really dip my toe in and do a small project. It was kind of a dive a head first in the deep end. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. That's a trial by fire kind of situation. Right. Oh, For yeah. sure. What were some of the, I, I know, I know that mindset plays a big role, especially when you're dealing with a big project, whether, whether or not your first project is a big project or not, what were some of the challenges that you faced 
um, if any, maybe you were a natural, maybe you just kind of like, yeah, I got this, not a problem. Uh, <laughs> but uh, what were some of the challenges that you faced with, uh, with that project? Yeah, that's, that's a good one. Um, yeah, I certainly wouldn't say I was a natural, you know, it did cut some of the things did come naturally, you know, I always had a real interest in numbers and, and financial analysis and being an architect, I certainly understand kind of how a building comes together. This was a very complex building that we were tearing half down and building kind of above. Uh, so there was a lot of construction, logistics and design, uh, you know, gymnastics that were necessary to kind of figure out with a very, very talented design and construction team. Um, and so I, I would say the biggest learning piece for me was just understanding kind of my role in that role, I was a development manager uh, in my role of kind of leading the team, uh, working with people that basically knew more than I did about this very complex process, leading that team, leading the personalities on that team and making sure that the whole group was moving forward in an in a efficient manner and keeping everybody kind of on board with, uh, with the direction we were going in. And uh, I mean, that, those were some real challenges. I, I can't say I was, I certainly wasn't perfect uh, along, the, along the way because right. a big part of it was me, you know, kind of learning, learning as we went. But uh, like I said, I got a heck of a lot out of it and, and met some great people and really had the opportunity to learn from, uh, you know, learn from some of those, uh, you know, snafus. I think, you know, one example is, you know, we'd have 30 people in a conference room. I'm leading the conversation and we've got a civil engineer or we've got a structural engineer and he's saying, oh, well, you can't do that. That doesn't make any sense. Right. Um, and then you're trying to kind of work around, okay, well, let's talk and think about it as opposed to just saying this doesn't work. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of this kind of problem solving as a group. That can be challenging, especially for someone, you know, who's kind of learning as they go. So that was a that was a big challenge for me. And, and I again, I couldn't say more positive things about, you know, what I learned on that that project and uh, and the great professionals I was uh, honored to be uh, on the team with. So, yeah, no, that's that's great. And it's sort of a blessing and an advantage to go through that experience, to kind of go through as much okay. as possible, as much as possible, as early as possible. And I couldn't, yeah. and I, I mean, I can definitely relate with trying to get everybody mm -hmm. on the same page. I, okay. unfortunately, I, I played, I played a little bit of rugby in high school. So I understand, okay. I understand yep. how important it is for everybody to work as a unit. Otherwise, mm -hmm. you're not just going to lose. You're going to get, you're going to get hurt. Like you're going to yeah. get really, really hurt. Um, yep. So even now just to kind of get everybody on the same page one person will say well i don't see what the problem is it's like yeah but this this is an <laughs> issue it's like it's like you know what i'm gonna take i'm gonna take the civil engineer's word for it because you know he learned a lot about this and like this is not my forte so it's, sure. it's really really important to have to have not only experienced people but to work with people that you really really trust in order to yep. be able to take to take their word for it so it sounds like it sounds like your background in basketball really did play a role in sort of managing that another team which is essentially right it's like <laughs> it's a great way that's yeah, a great connection absolutely gary it was you know we we had people it was such a great diverse group of individuals we had on our, our team especially in college we had people from russia we had people from the bronx we had people from suburban virginia like myself we had people from massachusetts and um just a whole lot of different personalities a lot of different agendas different egos uh different mm -hmm. people people are you know on a team, everyone needs to play a role. And, uh, and so that was, I mean, just a fantastic experience for me because, you know, you, I learned that you can, 
not necessarily be in love with your your uh, your teammate, but you can also find common ground to work together and and solve problems together and move move things forward right towards a common goal. And that's, I mean, I feel very fortunate and blessed to have had that experience, like you said, because I mean, I know that we can do that and I can be a part of that success in, in bringing people together. And I think that, you know, that's probably one of my stronger suits is that I, I actively look for ways to relate to people and find, you know, positive things where, you know, you could easily go in the, another direction. And I think uh, when you're working with a team, trying to lead a team, that's, that's a pretty, pretty important piece. So. Yeah. It's uh, it's not enough to, you know, to have the knowledge and skills and experience that are going to, are going to, help execute and get yep. to your objective successfully but it's the people skills you know it's, okay. it's something that it's something that you know they don't really talk to you about like they tell you to work in in groups growing up and even in sports but yeah. they don't they don't really tell you like hey this is going to be very 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 important down down the road um so hmm. let's switch gears a little bit what sure. uh, so you're, you're you're working and you know you, you did your first project do a few a few more projects down the line mm-hmm. It seems like it would have come naturally for you to kind of venture off on your own um, with your with your own firm, your own company, set up everything for yourself and then build your own team. How was that transition? How was it from going from, you know, another firm to setting up your own your own venture? Uh, it was difficult. Uh, it was very difficult. <laughs> uh, yeah, it took many years for me to work. Um, uh, on a variety of different levels and platforms. I mean, I, I'll, I'll tell you, I went from working on that million square foot plus project to working on a two family uh, condo conversion, right? I mean, I, did, I was looking for ways to make money. You know, as an entrepreneur, you can't just say, oh, I'm only going to work on a, you know, three, 300 unit multifamily, you know? So, so I, I've, I've uh, had the opportunity to, <laughs> to, you know, get my butt kicked a few times, learn a few lessons, but I also been very fortunate that I, that I was able to connect with some people that were recognized that I had a lot to bring to the table in terms of the design and development process and were, you know, were willing to kind of work with me and give me a chance as a partner. Uh, and then that, as act really kind of transitioned and turned into, I mean, that's where the family office um, uh, niche that I've kind of developed, uh, that's where that comes from, is that I connected with an individual who's a, a friend and colleague and business partner now that you know, his family owns a very prominent uh, company uh, here in New England. Uh, and he was looking to develop properties and, and he didn't have some of the experience that I had had and, and some of the financial kind of background. and. Uh, we kind of naturally teamed up and, and next thing you know, we're doing projects together. Right. So um, it's also the other thing to, to mention on that is also it's, a, you know, what I've found at least working uh, with some of the different partners that I've, I've connected with in family offices in particular is it's about finding kind of shared values and principles. It's not really, Hey, I've got a deal. It's not transactional, right? That's, that's um, extremely superficial. I think the more you can connect with people, on a, a deeper level, you know, a shared kind of experience, shared uh, values, then you can, then you can develop the relationship, but it takes many years to kind of get to know people and, and, uh, and to, to be able to, uh, you know, develop that rapport and that, that, uh, that level of trust, which is a really important piece, because you're not just, you're not just doing a transaction with somebody as a broker, right, you could go and say, hey, here's, hey, I've got a property, here you go, it's sold, I'm out of here, you know, send me my check for $200,000. Uh, that's one, and, that, and, that, and that's great, that works, but 
in the business that I'm in, it, it's, you know, the trust piece is really important. That relationship is really important. And I enjoy that. I think it's fun. Uh, and, I, and I like having uh, a, a few very deep relationships as opposed to many, many kind of more shallow ones. So it's, uh, it's been great. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, and I, I wrote a, a small piece about how crucial relationships are when it comes to working with people in general, not just raising capital and not just going out and asking for money, but mm. It's a lot. That's why a lot of people say, you know, you got to start with friends and family. And the reason why you got to start with friends and family money is because, mm-hmm. well, you'd hope that these people trust you. You know, you'd hope that these people are going <laughs> to trust you with a with a small sum, and you kind of, you know, you get yeah. your feet wet and you kind of prove yourself, and then you scale up slowly but surely. Sure. I sort of got I, I got a reality check when I I had uh, gone to a family office summit, and. Mm-hmm there was there was a you know a lot there's a lot of a lot of firms there a lot of family offices there that had the wherewithal they definitely had the wherewithal and i remember it was sort of you know a kind of a wake up call because i thought that if i just kind of go where the money is and present this deal then the money will follow and as they say if you build it they will come that's not true it's like <laughs> You know, if, if they if if they trust you, if there's a relationship, then they will come, right? And you sort of have to kind of shift your mindset to th- mm-hmm. to think about to put yourself in the other person's position. Um, yep. And as an investor myself, um, mm-hmm. I, I I I'm in that position. But you, you have you have to kind of think, hey, would I give this person money? And even the people that I work with myself, I would much rather work with somebody I've known for a while as opposed to somebody that's sort of like, hey, I have this amazing deal. Uh, let me do it. Give me the money, and yeah. you know I'll knock it out of the park. Like as, as as successful as you may be, it's sort of like I would much rather go the other way. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would just add to that. I think that once you've done a few deals, that, that, that attracts more deals, more investors, more opportunities, and it, you see so many opportunities. If you do, if you don't really feel a connection with somebody, if you don't really feel like there's a potential for a meaningful longer term relationship. You know, are you going to answer the phone? I mean, maybe not. You know, what's the, I, you know, you have too many people calling you. I have too many people calling me telling me, hey, I, I want to help you finance your latest deal. Like, that's great, but that's not going to, I've got 10 other people who call me tomorrow saying they want to help me finance the deal. And I don't need you help me finance the deal. I can find that equity pretty easily. Right. So it's not about the, to me, it's not about the financing and not financing. It's really about the longer term. Uh, value you can create for each other uh, by, you know, by, by supporting each other, by, um, by, you know, learning together, growing together. I think that's, and that's fun. You know, that, that to me is fun. It's, it's, you're basically creating a series of these kind of smaller teams with these family mm-hmm. offices because you have uh, built up credibility in a relationships. Yeah, that couldn't be more true. And it's not just about finding a source of capital that's going to finance your next project. But you also, like you said, you, you have to, at, at the very least, someone be able to have a relationship with that person or like that person, because you're going to work with that person for the duration of the project. And you're going to, you're going to be married to that person or that firm or that source for a very long time. It's like, do you really want to pick up the phone? Do you really want to get an email, uh, you know, have, get emails for a signature in the morning and late at night, and constantly mm-hmm. do this for the next three, four, or five years. Yeah, you nailed it exactly. Like you're not just saying it's not like the stock market. You're not just putting a you know, a buy order in, and then maybe six months mm-hmm. and two years from now you're going to sell it. You're you're 
in it for the long term. You're on the phone. And if you're, you know, if you're a co-GP, you're on the phone a lot. You're in meetings a lot together. Uh, you have to respect each other and what the value each, each of you brings to the table. And then you're, and if you're in the LP position, then you're still getting active, you know, active updates and, and regular updates, mm -hmm. uh, reports from these people. And, and you're asking hard questions to these people that, you know, sometimes that they're going to have to do more work to answer. So you have to be comfortable with that person and really trust that, that they're telling that they're, you know, they're sharing with you what they should share. You know, a, a friend of right. mine got the deal. It's a, you know, 40 or so condo deal. And he's, uh, he got in the deal, got connected, kind of some broker introduced him. Uh, he put, you know, a couple hundred thousand bucks in the deal should have been a home run. Now he's put up, you know, another million bucks and it, the, 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 the deal is not done yet. And you know what, they were trying to self-perform the project completely fell on their face. They, he had to come in take over the deal, bring in his own GC and, and why is that, uh, why is that situation there? It's partially because he didn't know who he was working with. Right. And, um, and I think it was, you know, it, it's natural to want to kind of get in and get involved and do mm -hmm. things active and, and, Oh, there's a deal. Let's go check it out. But at some point there's a certain level of prudence. You have to like slow down and reassess the situation, recognize that, you know, that, that, unless you really know the person, their background and their references. I mean, that's another thing to think about. Uh, mm -hmm. You got to look before you jump, I guess is my point. So. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Now on the family office side of things, sure. there, you know, families, families, individuals, investors, they all, you know, they all come from different walks of life. I'll give you an example. I know a family that made, uh, made their money in textiles in the textile industry. So when it comes to, let's say an opportunity, uh, where they can, they bought some land and they want to do something with the land. Now you know they can either sell it or develop it. They probably wouldn't know what you know, sure. wouldn't know what to do. They wouldn't know what the first thing is um, when it comes to development. What are some, I guess, not mistakes, but what are what are some things that you're seeing family offices do that they could have completely avoided? Sort of like the example that you just gave earlier, had they sort of brought brought in a partner like yourself. Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think one piece of that is defining what a family office is, right? There's a lot of kind of lack of clarity there. And I think the best way to think of it is it's either a family that has had a successful business for many years and they've, um, you know, they've amassed enough wealth that they have a, an office, the formal office that manages their money and their investments or a more informal situation, which is either an ultra high net worth individual uh, or a family that has a portfolio that of investments, right? And so, um, so that's typically kind of in the 50 million plus of investable assets. That's kind of where, you know, I think the definition begins and ends. Um, so that's one piece. And then to answer your question, some of the common mistakes are, you know, an individual or family ends up with a piece of property. It's kind of laying fallow because it's in the back of the portfolio. There's no cash flow coming in from it or a limited amount of cash flow. It's not a priority uh, to, to look at or to deal with. And that is just kind of a missed opportunity, right? And so and, and the, don't get me wrong, that, that piece of property may be land banked for a very specific reason, but it also may be forgotten about, which is fairly common with groups and families that own large amounts of land. So that's one issue that I've seen many times. The other issue is, is that, uh, you know, families get into a situation where they're, oh, well, I'm thinking about developing this project, this property in a way 
but they don't necessarily have the right team, right? So that that to me is always a big piece, right? Do you do you, do you have a team, or do you know the right people to bring in for the team? Like just just outlining in general, what is the right team for a, a project? You know, like you're contemplating, you have to understand who are the right people to call, who are the right attorneys to call, who are the right engineers to call, who's the right construction company to call. So there's a lot of these these relationships and um, this knowledge from that really only comes from experience. Um, and so if I've seen families, they, they either buy a piece of property, have a piece of property, say, oh, I'm going to develop it. Uh, they go down the, 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 the road of permitting the property. OK, I'm going to I'm going to do here's a very common thing that I've seen a million times in the Boston suburbs. Right. Um, People have a nice piece of property. It's right next to a train station. It's really well located for mixed use, maybe for multifamily, uh, transit oriented. And they, they're in a town maybe that's, you know, kind of middle class to maybe a little more working class. And the rents just aren't high enough to justify building stick construction, you know, lumber construction, two by four, two by six construction over a, a podium, over a steel podium. Very common here in the Boston area. And they design it so there's structured parking with this podium, the steel podium, concrete podium. Um, and then they, they get all the way through the permits. They spent, you know, three, $400,000 on the design and all the permits and all, a lot of time and, and, and uh, stress and anxiety. And then they go to build it and oops, it costs too much, right? And, and so yeah. that's just, it's a, it's, it's a shame because I've had, I've, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to, oh, I've got this property for sale and Oh, we can build it at one hundred twenty-five dollars a square foot, and you know I know it costs two hundred twenty dollars a square foot to build that, um, and it and, and and they're relying on their friend, who was a contractor ten years ago, or he's a guy that you know that builds houses, and and he doesn't have the the knowledge or the relationships with the subcontractors to be able to adequately or accurately price a construction process progress a project at that scale right so that's mm -hmm. those are just some of the common kind of pitfalls uh, another one is there's a a group um that we've worked with in the past and we've had conversations with about projects and you know they send us hey we've got these great projects here we're, we're looking to to develop them uh, and they've only ever owned for example existing multifamily. they've done some value add things like that but value add development is extremely different from ground up right mm -hmm. the, the the risk profile is completely different the investor investors are completely different uh not to mention the construction costs the upfront costs for permitting uh the, the 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 risk that you take on through the approvals process understanding the zoning all the legal implications there's a lot of upfront risk and and in making that jump is not necessarily an easy jump to make so so the, the idea, oh, okay, well, you know, we can just figure it out. Um, as much as I like just figuring things out sometimes, I can certainly relate to that. Uh, when you get to a certain scale for projects, development, real estate development projects, it's just, it's very dangerous. Uh, and so, yeah. so that's where you know, Q Management, myself, uh, that's where we can come in and, and, and advise and help and, and partner with, with families and help them kind of figure some of those, the best, the highest and best use, the options and some of the different risks that might be exposing themselves to if they mm -hmm. really decide to get into that process, so. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, no, you made a very good point in terms of what can 
in regards to conventional knowledge versus unconventional knowledge. So they may get some an opinion or they may get some advice from a family friend or somebody that they worked with in the past. And they'll say, and I've been in that situation where someone said, hey, this is a great project. We can do it. We can build it for $175 a square foot. That sounds nice. At the end of the day, it sounds really nice. Everybody, you know, everybody wants to save money or make money, whatever, whatever the objective may be in order to successfully get the project or to successfully get the returns that your investors are expecting, you know, try to try to meet and, and, and achieve that IRR for your investors. But the reality is like, you know, I've had, you know, I've had the, our capital sources or in our equity partners who asked, okay, well, who, who provided, who provided this quote? Like who, yeah. who yeah, you know, who put this together? It's like, and when you tell them, well, the company has over 40, 42 years as a general contractor, they know, they know the area, they know all the trades, they know everybody. Mm-hmm. That is when you can sort of help sell the project and have confidence in the numbers. But to kind of go off the cuff and be like, oh yeah, we can do this for 175 square foot. It's like, what, what makes you say that? It's a, it's a far cry from, from, you know, from reality. As, as opposed yeah, to, you know. And, and, and frankly, it's dangerous. It's hazardous mm-hmm. uh, to for the investors. It's hazardous for the family office. And and I, I think it's a, unfortunately, at least from what I've observed, you know, in the institutional space, there's a very strict discipline. We're only going to work with these very experienced kind of groups. And, you know, they'd have to have done 100 multifamily projects, you know, in this area. Mm-hmm. And in the family office space, I think there's, there's an interest uh, in you know building out their direct private investment uh, in real estate, and I think sometimes, unfortunately, they may be taking on more risk because they're trying these things that they're not necessarily sure that they should be doing, or or mm-hmm. they're not even aware that they shouldn't be considering. And that's the danger of kind of getting into this without having the right advisor, the right group. And and uh, like you said, it's it's it comes down to the team, and, and do you have kind of that credible information source, especially for, I mean, when it comes down to it, you know, I can tell you that it's going to cost $500,000 for architecture and engineering on a $20 million project. But, you know, I couldn't tell you off my, off the top of my head in Toronto, that it's going to mm-hmm. cost, you know, uh, $200 a square foot or $150 a square foot. I'd have to mm-hmm. figure out who the builders are in that area and have some conversations, share some basic drawings and, 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 uh, you know, site information for them to give me a real number. Right. And so mm-hmm. yeah. anybody that says, Oh, it's this, the build, but yeah. you know, they're, yeah. they're, they're making it up unless they're building mm-hmm. next door, the exact same <laughs> product. Right. And so that, yeah. that's something to be careful about. So, yeah, it's a, it's a great point. And to your point, uh, just recently uh, dealt with that, <clears throat> just recently experienced it where um, it was, it was a, a recommended, highly recommended general contractor. They had done a lot of work and the quote came back uh, at $225 a square foot. And I spoke to another general contractor who had two projects in the city. And one of those projects was uh, a four building, four building community, you know, sort of a cluster of buildings. And sure. they, all the trades were local. Everybody was local. Everybody was already here. And it was 285 square foot. And it was wow. like, how, how's that discrepancy? And it's like, so it's like, and I asked them, I said, you guys are on the other side. You guys are about 45 minutes away from the city, from Kitchener. The project was in Kitchener, which is about an hour and 15 minutes west of Toronto. And it's like, how do you guys get that? It's like, oh, we have confidence that we can do it for 220. It's like, 
okay, I would, and, and you know, it's like, <laughs> I'm glad you do. That's right. not helping investors, yeah. <laughs> right, Ex exactly. That's exactly it. And I have a fiduciary duty, you know, to protect yeah. ev everybody, everybody that's involved. Exactly. And exactly. Um, I would much rather pay a premium, to be honest with you, and, and oh, yeah. to, get that, to get that guarantee and the peace of mind as opposed to kind of mm. save a little here, here and there. So, yeah, and it can be dangerous, 100%. Yeah, yeah. And it, the other thing is, is that, contractors will will say one thing and then it turns out costing something else and at that point you've spent a bunch of money you've gotten into the deal you've gotten the land tied up or you own it like that that's that could be a they're basically setting you up putting you in a pretty tough place right mm -hmm. um and mm -hmm. so that's the real risk and uh without some level of experience and, and kind of credibility like here's an example right we're, we're looking i was looking at a quote the other day right for some site work it was on six acres of property, right? And 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 I, we just did a project, and it cost about two million bucks to do six acres worth of site work. Not that different uh, scope. Um, and this number came in; it was two point four million, right? And I said, "Oh, that's interesting. It seems a little high, you know, whatever." This other quote, we get another second quote. Something comes in at one point seven, and so I'm saying to myself, "Hmm, well." 2 million seems right. Two point four seems high. One point seven seems low. So in the end that you know i'm talking to the guy who showed us a 2.4 quote and he's the general contractor and it's like you know i think you might have you know you might have to, have to talk to some more subs because your price is fair amount higher than a this other price and really what i was expecting and that that's the kind of thing where you can't just kind of wing that right you have to have somebody who's either you know like myself who's got relationship and experience in that space where you have to have mm -hmm. a owner's rep that has experience in that construction in that space, right? That has, uh, can provide some of that perspective in addition to understanding all the other development pieces and, and you know, everything else that goes with development, so. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. You, uh, you know, it's, it's, you're a crucial part. You're a crucial part. An, exper an experienced partner is, is, is gonna save you money at the end because they can just look at a, look at a price and be like, okay, seems a bit expensive, but and it's not going to be as profitable as we thought, but it's okay. And and you know, with their if they're inexperienced, then they don't know either that they're paying too much or they're not paying enough. Um, yeah. So in regards to getting involved with the family office or getting mm -hmm. getting involved in the development in, in the development, what at what stage do you typically like to come in? And is there is there a more benefit if you sort of come in early on in order mm -hmm. to avoid any any mistakes or have or is it, is there more benefit for them? Is there a benefit mm -hmm. if the family office had done some of the groundwork and kind of pass it on over to you? Uh, you know, we, we can work in either capacity. I mean, I think. Mm -hmm. Anyone worth your salt in development is going to tell you that earlier the better, because I think in the end, uh, like I just kind of described a minute ago, you, there's a lot of times where uh, families or groups are, are planning on one thing and then, oops, it costs way more than I expected, or oops, we can't get that permitted here and we shouldn't have spent the last three months or four months or five months designing this thing. So the earlier, the better, um, to, you know, Many times, you know, we source property, we source uh, acquisition opportunities, development opportunities ourselves. Uh, we have, uh, you know, professionals in Florida, New, uh, New York, North Carolina, Texas, and in New England. So we have professionals out looking for properties off market and working on market with other brokers. Uh, so we can find deals and then work with family offices. And also, you know, we also obviously work with uh, other limited partners and investment mm -hmm. funds. Uh, 
but we can also come in and say, hey, you know, you guys have a piece of property, you're thinking about developing, you're thinking about selling it. You know, what what are our options? I think that's a that's a that's a helpful time to bring us in as well, because then we can sit down, look at what's feasible there, talk through the risk reward profile, kind of some of the different options here, um, and then and then make that help help make that decision. Because I think ultimately, you know, not everyone's meant to develop property, um, and not mm-hmm. everyone has the the interest or the interest in taking that risk on. I think there's many family offices they just want to own a nice apartment building for cash flow or a nice mm-hmm. property for cash flow, which is a very, this is a great option as well. So, but it just depends. And I think if you're looking for higher level of returns or opportunistic returns, you know, 20, 25% plus, you have to put money to work in a, in, in a riskier space. And then it's really all about how do you manage all that risk, right? And that to mm-hmm. me is where the, the experience uh, uh, where myself and my team, that's where we come in and we can really help out. And, that, and those are, you know, so the answer is the earlier, the better. We can show up, figure out the design and, and build the thing if that's all there is, you know, but I right. think, you know, I've seen more, pro- you know, I've been involved in projects where, you know, a family office owns a, a large piece of property. They bring us in and it's already designed, not in terms of the, 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 the building hasn't been necessarily designed with the footprints there, the concept of the, the programs there. Mm-hmm. And then it's kind of like, you know, it's almost like, they're trying to shoehorn in, okay, well, this doesn't totally work financially, but let's kind of figure it out. And then you spend many, many months and months trying to kind of figure out whether, you know, when in reality, if we'd shown up, if we'd been brought in six months, a year before when the permitting started and setting the program, we could have helped avoid some of those gymnastics we're mm-hmm. trying to create and, and, and really improve the returns on the project. So that's, that's where we can add a lot of value. And I think, mm-hmm. um, it's not just about executing construction and design. I mean, owner's project manager can do that very easily. Um, but, you know, sourcing, you know, the front end of deals, doing that analysis, and then figuring out the permits and approvals process and what, you know, what types of risks you're going to be involved there, mm-hmm. who are the right attorneys to work with. Because um, it's, right. it, it, depending on the jurisdiction, but, you know, it, a lot of it is figuring out what's, what's possible, right? And, and you can't really do that uh, without the right attorneys, without the right engineering team, without that feedback, that kind of push and pull. Um, but I, I really enjoy that. So I, I think it's, yeah, I enjoy it and our team enjoys it. So it's a, it's a fun thing. And like I said, we're, we're, uh, we're, uh, very much meant to be in the space. So. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of mitigating risk, you mentioned risk earlier. Um, I'm going to I'm going to ask you a question that I hope I get to stop asking, but we're, it's 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 a part of our reality. Um, how did how did COVID impact you, if it did at all? And I'll I'll give I'll give you an example. I know a couple of firms who just put the brakes. They pumped the brakes on everything, and they said, "Hey, you know what? We're not going to raise a fund this year. We're not we're not going to overbid on multifamily because it's the ho- it's the hottest uh, asset class right now." How did COVID impact you guys? Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, we have a project in the Boston suburbs that is a mixed-use project. Uh, there's a, a, a retail component, and so our our partner who owns the family office that owns the property, uh, we were looking to start construction at the end of March of last year. Uh, COVID arrived, and uh, and we we you know, we put it on hold, uh, and. Uh, we're looking again to start construction maybe the next two, two or three months. And that's a great thing, but 
but it was, uh, you know, clearly everyone had a lot of disruption and anxiety around kind of what was happening with COVID and, and a, lot, a real lack of clarity, right? And, um, and it's been interesting to see kind of what's happened with the market, but that was a disruption. I don't, it didn't like bring us to an end. We were also under construction on a multifamily project here in the Boston area. And so, you know, there was uh, a little bit of time uh, that where our, you know, a few weeks basically, which was uh, very much uh, to our benefit, you know, Boston was shut down for more than you know a month or two. Uh, mm-hmm. But in the suburbs of Boston, we, we kept working, uh, which was great. But it was uh, that that as well. I mean, it was scary. I think we were, we were very concerned for our, uh, for our employees and our general contractors, employees to make sure everyone was safe. Um, so like everyone else, we went through figuring out what those protocols were or should be, uh, work to keep everybody safe and, but also continued on with the construction. So we delivered that project in July of last year. Uh, it's 90% lease. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. So that's been nice. A, a nice success for us. And, uh, we're, uh, actively kind of moving towards, um, towards our next thing. So. Yeah. Awesome. Let that be a testament of uh, your experience, you know, and, uh, you guys pulled through. Yeah. 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 It's been nice. We, we, I mean, it's certainly not just us. It, it's a great team of people, you know, the property managers have done a great job and we've, uh, you know, we've, uh, we had a, a good construction team that did a nice job and we've, uh, you know, we worked together and we solved some problems. Right on. So you work with a lot of family offices. Some of them may have a little bit of experience when it comes to real estate investing and some of them are, are just new to real estate investing. If mm-hmm. for, for those, for those investors, uh, you know, not just family offices, what would be a piece of advice that you could share with them that would, would save them a, a lot of time, but as well as money? Hmm. Uh, that's a great question. I, I, I would say if you're looking to get into the real estate space, kind of the direct investment space into the, the, the development space in real estate, you know, understanding, you know, assembling the right team is essential. It's crucial. Right. And so, um, being able to recognize that, okay, you can, you can find, uh, you know, you can do, develop over time relationships with other family offices that develop develop property. You can uh, develop relationships with developers uh, that just build and develop properties that are a lot will allow you to invest in their their deals. Um, and then you can also say to yourself, "Hey, I've, I have property. I have enough property. I have an interest in uh, enough in building out kind of a, a my own real estate operation in some way, and that can easily be kind of a third party." which is really what Pew Management does, a third party where you're not necessarily hiring um, uh, somebody in-house as an asset manager, as a development manager, as a property manager, but you're, you're partnering with somebody who has that experience, has that those relationships, uh, but you're not necessarily having to put them on your payroll. So I think that's a big piece that, that, that we can help with, right? And But so it's really, what's your approach? You've got a partner with other family offices that are already doing it partner directly with developers. Both of those are gonna involve a fair amount of fees, right? You're gonna pay all types of acquisition fees. You're gonna pay development fees. You're gonna pay disposition fees. You're gonna pay asset management fees. There's a lot of fees involved in both of those those paths. Um, And then there's the, hey, we're gonna set up our own operation or we're gonna maybe maybe have an in-house asset manager. Maybe, you know, I know a group family office that owns a large portfolio of real estate here. They have a, an asset manager, they have uh, property managers, they have 
um, a, a capital projects uh, construction manager who really manages smaller projects for them, but they're looking to do development. They're, they have large properties, interesting locations that they're looking to develop. So that's a potential uh, partner that we would work with and say, okay, what can we do? What properties are you looking at and considering developing? We can systematically go through those with them and help them kind of figure out, okay, we have uh, you know, this project would be a hundred million uh, dollar, you know, tower, right? Office tower, multifamily tower. We have this project could be a $50 million, you know, multifamily three story stick over podium, right? There's, there's all these different kind of options and, and, and strategic paths that you can choose. And I think that's where, you know, we can kind of help on the front end and, 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 and help with some of those, those additional costs and fees. And that's where we typically so we'll, we partner with family offices. We, we will typically work with a family office, either in the co-GP position or have family office as an LP, a limited partner. Um, we're flexible. It just kind of depends on how, um, you know, how the deal could be structured um, and you know, what makes sense for both parties. But you know, many times, some of these other routes, you're investing in a fund of funds or a REIT or whatever. Uh, there's just a ton of, overhead that kind of goes into that and with for good reason because there's a lot of work and effort and time and if you're really looking for uh, the opportunity to build some returns that are you know above market you know you know really finding places to 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 source kind of alpha if you will uh then you're you're gonna you're gonna want to put money to work in private equity real estate uh, in direct mm -hmm. real estate yeah, absolutely. Now, if I probably asked you five years ago what your what your ultimate goal would have you know would be or is with Pew Management and in the commercial real estate space, you would have probably you would have probably given me you know an objective or a goal that you know that is where you are today. So, um, what's what is your ultimate goal uh, with Pew Management and in the commercial real estate? I guess five or 10, 10 years from now. Yeah, our ultimate goal is to be the best-in-class operating partner for family offices that are interested in real estate investment. You know, uh, we have, uh, you know, we've got the tools, we've got the relationships, so that's that's where we ultimately want to end up. Um, you know, five years ago, I said to myself, I want to be a real estate developer, right? And mm -hmm. I wasn't sure what the right path was, um, and it's unfolded in such a way that you know i just happen to work with and know family office uh office investors and it's it's really worked out that way so i, I love that about the space i love the fact that you know i didn't mention it earlier but you know my family has a family business my my partners their families have family businesses so there's a an understanding a relationship there that in terms of you know some of those dynamics around decision making and businesses family businesses are very specific entities, right? They're not necessarily public entities. There's, there's a board and there's this decision-making process that, uh, that we understand, not only because we work with family offices, but we have these kind of family entities and, and, and investment vehicles and whatever else. Uh, so we've had some of that experience. We've had some of those interactions that not necessarily everybody in the, in the real estate space has had. So I think in that way, we're really a boutique firm that can, can understand uh, certain things and make sure that we present things in a way that you know really speaks more directly to some of those families and and, and some of the, some of those family members. So, yeah. Well, I mean, you're already doing that. Uh, you've already you've already gotten to that to that level, and uh, I don't see I don't see any reason why you guys aren't aren't going to experience a lot of growth in the next coming years. I wish I would have uh, I wish I would have met 
you or somebody like you five years ago would have saved a lot of, a lot of headaches for myself and the family that's for sure um but hey um you know it's uh, a lot a lot of the family offices that are working with you i know that they're in good hands and you guys definitely know what you're doing um it's been a pleasure having you on the show john thank you so much for your time tell everybody out there where they can find you thanks gary i've had a great time thanks for having me uh you can go to pewmanagement.com p-u-g-h-m-d-m-t.com you can find us on linkedin at pew management and then you can also uh you know send us an email if you want at info info at pew p-u-g-h-m-d-m-t.com okay great i'm gonna have those included in the show notes Again, John, it was a blast having you on the show. Thank you for your time. I had a lot of fun. Thanks, Gary.